Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. It is officially summer and the governor's race in all of our elections are heating up. We have our full panel to talk about it. That means Rebecca Lynch is with us. Rebecca is with the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Rebecca, welcome. Thanks for having me. And Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, welcome. Good day, everyone. So... We have a lot. We're going to be politics heavy this show. So we're going to talk about the Marquette Law Poll. It's kind of, we've talked about it before. It's sort of become the poll in the state for all of its flaws and wonder, uh, flaws that we've talked about too. But we're going to discuss that in detail, talk a little more about some of the races. We are going to be joined also by a Citizen Action member and a candidate for state, uh, state rep, Erica Flynn, who went down to the Texas border this week. Uh, to deal with the situation that we'll talk more about in terms of the, the, the separation of children uh, from their families. So we're going to talk a lot more about both her experience but also uh, Trump's decision to change or end his policy, uh, and or at least a part of that. We want to talk more about that and what's next. We're also going to mention, talk a little bit about the Supreme Court decision this week, and we're going to dive a little deeper into that those poverty numbers we previewed last week from a report that came out. We want to talk a little bit more specifically about the child poverty numbers in there. So we're we're going to get to all this. So let's start. Uh, Marquette Law Poll came out yesterday. We record on Thursday, and not much has changed overall. Walker continues to remain under fifty percent in terms of his support level, but he's right there. He's very close, um, and you could argue inching up, although if you look at margin of error, one could also say nothing's really changed. Um, the other major defining piece of news, and I'll then kick it for comment, is that the Democratic gubernatorial candidates likewise are still largely unknown. We, we have still 34% that are completely undecided. I would venture to guess even some people that may say they have a favorite now would be willing to move. Um, that number is 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 down 10% from the previous poll earlier this spring. So not a lot of people have, have gravitated. So um, Democratic gubernatorial candidates still heavily in flux, although it is worth pointing out in all the head-to-head still behind Walker. A lot of that is just name recognition at this point. So I want to kick it to the panel. Rebecca, your top thoughts on the poll. Uh, okay. You know, I have a lot of thoughts, um, as I'm sure you and Robert do too. You know, I think one of the things that I find really interesting is that Governor Walker kind of remains static no matter who you put him up against. Uh, and I think that shows that we have a really, I think if we do everything right and we work really hard, a wide path to victory with a good candidate in November against Governor Walker. Um, you know, other quick takeaways that, you know, I want to know it's clear that the democratic field is far from consolidation which i think makes the efforts of citizen action and wisconsin choice working families party owr even more important to try to you know build some grassroots momentum behind candidates figure out what the differences are uh and really really try to move forward with someone who's going to be a real people's champion you know as uh, you know unsurprising to see you know uh, among the the Democratic candidates, the one that ranks the lowest among people who don't know enough or don't have an opinion about them is Tony Evers, which 
strikes me as an indication that he has almost nowhere to go but down, right? Like if no one knows who anybody is, and the numbers are kind of staggering, you know, 90, well, Josh Payne doesn't count, but, you know, 80, 86% of people need to know more about Malin Mitchell. That, that leaves him a lot of room for growth and to go up, um, you know, maybe also go down, but to go up. Whereas, you know, Tony Evers is the most known of everyone. So I, I find that interesting. Um, and the last thing I'll say in the gubernatorial, we could also talk about Tammy and some others too. Um, and I d- definitely want to talk about enthusiasm for voting. But, you know, among the top six candidates that do the best in this poll, and again, polls are just polls. We learned a lot about polls in 2016. You know, I don't want to overhype this, but among the, the top six Democratic candidates who, who do the best against Walker in this matchup, uh, half of them, three, are in the final four of Wisconsin's choice, which kind of jives with, you know, what, we, what we're seeing in our organizing, that there are folks that do have some grassroots support, and there are other folks like, for example, Paul Soglin, who have less grassroots support. Robert, your thoughts? I think Rebecca was appropriately restrained, but let me return to my general fact-based discussions about polling. Let's start with the margin of error. By the way, I, I think we, I do this, I bring this show on just to hear Robert talk about how much he hates polls. <laughs> well, we just need to understand <laughs> totally, polls. Totally and worth it. The that's, media just runs and that's right. says they're significant. So That's why we talk about this. All the media is yelping about how Walker went up from 44 to 48%. The margin of error is 4% in the poll. Exactly. It's statistically insignificant. No social scientist would say this set measured anything. It's between 4% and 6.9%, depending what they're polling. So for the Democrats, it's 6.9%. So the only statistically significant thing that was found is that Evers is better known. The other differences are all within the margin of error, folks. So it found nothing. That's what statisticians, that's what social scientists who actually do this would tell you. So let's be really clear that we learned very little other than the obvious that Tony Evers is better known, but we learned that 61% still don't know who the heck Tony Evers is. (laughs) Which, with a margin of error of 6.9%, which means none of them are well-known. Evers is just a little better known than a whole lot of unknown candidates. By the way, it it is also worth pointing out, very similar things happening in the Senate race for the Republican candidates. A little better known, but like still Mm -hmm. largely completely unknown by most of these voters. This race hasn't even started (laughs) for most voters. But they've had a bunch of TV. And Nicholson is winning, which is interesting, but as I say, it's, it, it's within the margin of error, but uh, some people, a lot of insiders are saying Vukbeer will win, all these issues behind her. The fact that they're probably tied statistically is not a good thing for Leah Vukbeer. Let me, let me add one other thought here is what's impressive about this and should give progressives hope. Walker has spent a ton of money lately and really, I mean, there's not much to show for it, right? Statistically insignificant. Not that he's probably expecting that he'll jump up. Like, his goal is just to get Eek out a win here. But, like, it just shows. And we talked about this, Robert. You mentioned this on when we were having the discussion about his ads, this idea that they were just going to saturate, saturate. 
but it was likely not going to lead to much. Uh, and this poll would certainly indicate some of that. Yeah, and I think we're seeing that in the Senate race as well. You know, again, being appropriately skeptical about polls, but outside the margin of error, Tammy Baldwin polls very well against both of her Republican opponents. Granted, what you said is correct, that they're they're not very well known. Uh, but we already reached, I think, over $10 million in outside spending against Tammy. That's the most spending against any Democratic U.S. senator. And so, you know, I would expect um, her numbers to be slightly worse given that spending, but seems like um, she's, at least according to this poll, uh, in pretty good shape. So, so yeah, one, Robert. one other quick thing is there's much being made of this head-to-head between each candidate and Walker, for which there's a 4% margin of error for most of them, five point, uh, for a couple of them, and 56 for the others. It looks like statistical junk. Like, I'm not believing, for example, that Walker polls 49% against Dana Walks, uh, but only 44% against Mike McCabe. That that's actually, maybe Mike McCabe is getting some conservatives to flip over, or maybe that's statistical junk. I don't know. But that's the kind of question, are we really even reading anything other than random statistical variation, especially with candidates so little known by the people who are answering this question. Right. I mean, I think, you know, I'd be interested to know, like, the battery of questions that were used to describe each candidate. You know, I think with the candidates, I mean, here's an important point, you know, that I think most listeners will appreciate, but it's worth restating. None of these candidates of Democrats have gone on the air yet. And there are some who are going to have money to do that, and there are some who aren't. You know, we'll see what everyone's filings look like in July. But like Mike McCabe, for example, has been very public that he's not accepting any donations over $200. So I don't know how much money he'll end up raising and if that's going to be enough resources to be on the air. Meanwhile, um, another big piece of news in the Democratic gubernatorial race yesterday, Kelder Roy's just uh, endorsed by Emily's List. So if Emily's List and all these other groups are throwing down behind Kelda to help her be better known and help her get on the air and some of her male opponents have less money, that could make a difference. And one one quick thing, again, on statistics, on Walker's approval rating, the last four polls, they claim an upward trend, Marquette does, which is them massaging their own data. It was 45%, 48%, 47%, 49%, the last one. All margin of error, folks. If you go to a social scientist, E.W. Madison, a good one, they'll say it means nothing. It's, it's, it's statistical clutter. I think Brian, the producer, is telling us we don't have that much more time. But um, one other thing I'd want to say is that the you know where the poll sampled from, like if it didn't sample heavily from Milwaukee, then maybe there'd be less support for someone like Malin. I mean, all of these things can impact you know how how representative the poll might be of the overall electorate. And that's based on their turnout model, which may or may not be accurate, and that's why they Correct. were so wrong about the Trump election. Correct. So. In spite of all its flaws, we're actually going to talk a little bit more about this poll. There's a couple, there's at least a couple more points I want to at least discuss, but we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. We're talking about the MU poll. We spent the first part of the show going over some of the quote highlights, but mostly talking about how virtually nothing's changed and making sure that there's great clarity about how little the poll actually does tell us as it relates to any particular candidates or head-to-head per se. There is one thing that I want to... I do want to talk about some of the issues that are in here, and I'll delay on that, but there is something going on here that's worth mentioning um, that I do think the poll in within statistic, within the air, shows. Trump is not popular, 
okay? He remains unpopular, running almost 10 points behind Walker. And I think this is part of the dynamic of what's going on in this election that we have to understand. And that is that, like, a lot of the wave, a lot of what we're experiencing is, you know, feelings towards Trump and what Trump has inspired in people. As someone who sat through a lot of candidate interviews, it is amazing how many people talk about the election of Trump and what it did to inspire them to do different things. And I think the poll sees that. We know that. We're going to talk more about immigration. He's and, and just there's so many reasons why he's so unpopular and how that is really overall bad for the GOP. And so Walker's a little more Teflon. He has his separation. It's part of why I think a lot of people uh, nationally are not necessarily putting our governor race, quote, on top tier because they, they uh, understand that dynamic. But that's important for us all to understand that Trump is the the is what's mixing up a lot of people's angst and opening for us to do different and exciting things with non-progressive voters. The whole thing about whether we turn out or not, that's up to us and making sure we all get out. So that's in the poll. I think that's really important for us to understand. And while Walker's within the margin of error, he remains significantly more popular than Trump, and we need to understand that. Um, I want to talk about issues. Rebecca, I want you... you there's... There's a number of interesting things here on the issues. So what, what strikes you of all the different issues that are at play in the survey that was, is most worth pointing out to our listeners? Sure. I mean, I'm always interested in um, economic issues. And so to see that there's both um, among Wisconsinites, um, at least among the, the folks polled in this poll, um, n you know, a lack of support for both free trade and for the Trump tariffs is fascinating yeah. to me. And I think, you know, the on the tariffs, that's evidence of the fact that the um, impact uh, of the Trump tariffs could really hurt a number of Wisconsin uh, industries, farmers, manufacturers, and that has been clearly made well-known in national and local press, and I think that's, you know, penetrated, um, you know, the consciousness of Wisconsin voters. Um, not surprising that free trade is, is not popular, but to me, you know, that speaks to a real lack of plan from anyone for an economic plan that is going to be good for Wisconsin farmers, manufacturers, workers. And so I don't know. I'm sure you guys have something to say about that. I'm just going to quick add and then kick to Robert. This is excellent because it it's part of the problem with our economy and that we do not have an alternative vision, right, that people understand what that is, even though there's all this angst towards trade. But if they talk about tariffs, right, and we know that the media establishment, we saw this on NAFTA, we've seen it on every trade, they get rolling and they bang the gongs for the for free, free trade. So his tariffs are up against that kind of establishment. But likewise, if there was some sort of progressive vision of a different economy, we're going to be up against that same dynamic while there's all this opportunity out there about people understanding the current free trade system does not work for them. Robert. Well, look. Just calling it free trade is the problem here. Free trade polls very well. The establishment of this country has been able to get it labeled as free trade. It's not free trade. It's corporate rig trade. These, these agreements are highly complicated and involve every imaginable corporate lobbyist writing the rules. So it's not free, okay? So tariff sounds terrible. And, and so it's, it's just, here's the problem. The public thinks the economy's rigged, but they don't know how. Okay, and so they don't know to say necessarily 
that there's corporate rigged trade. Now, if you, we were polling TPP, it'd be a different matter because TPP was exposed as anything but free trade, right? And so, but there's not a consistent democratic messaging. It's all over the map. Ron Kind is one place. Gwen Moore is another place, right? Closer to where I am, uh, et cetera. So you have that, but there's still this underlying angst about the economy, the future of people's kids, that just isn't reflected in this kind of polling. I think the other stunning thing in this poll is the Mueller investigation. I mean, let's get a grip. I mean, don't watch Chucker Carlson on Fox News, right? Uh, or any of, the, any of the disinformation coming out from fake right-wing media. Robert Mueller was the FBI uh, director for George W. Bush and is considered a very straight-laced guy. And, he, and they've managed to make it. So there's, there are more people with no confidence at all, all Republicans, I'm sure, than there are with high confidence in this and believing that this is some sort of partisan investigation by liberal Democrats to undermine the wonderful Donald Trump. So this really is evidence of a propagandocracy, right? And we're gonna, we can talk about it when we get to the child separation issue as well, where that's also a very extreme example where they have a full propagandistic communication operation to say anything they need to say and, and, people, and, a, and an audience that wants to believe anything these folks have to say. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I just to quickly go back um, to the economic stuff, uh, the polling on Foxconn is interesting, and I, I don't really know what to make of it because to Robert's point earlier, the changes are really within the margin of statistical error. So, like, I, I don't know that they're the changes are noticeable, but you still have a lot of people saying that they don't think that Foxconn is worth the amount of money we're putting in. Uh, we have a majority of folks who say they think the Milwaukee area is going to benefit, but that doesn't speak to the question of how you know the rest of the state would or would not benefit. Um, so I, I just wanted to point that out. I think that polling is interesting. Um, and then the last thing I'll say, you know, uh, you know, moving back away um, closer to the FBI, uh, away from the economic argument, there's uh, some interesting polling here that 38 percent of the people polled say that they trust President Trump more than they trust the news media to tell the truth on important issues. And 45% say they trust the news media more than Trump. That is like a very stark divide. Um, it's an interesting way for Marquette to have asked the question, but you know, it's very black or white and or, but I mean, that seems to me to be a problem that is not new, um, but hasn't moved much since yeah, and yeah. it fits into what Robert was just talking about in terms of this propagandistic Fox News style of journalism. Organized lying works. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, and I think there's a lot of sensitivity around the Mueller investigation because it, because of what you said. They've been very effective at sort of making it seem like it's just kind of this politicized witch hunt against the president. And I think it... I, I personally do think that it versus a lot of the other things Trumps are doing, including the immigration stuff we're going to talk about, other things, are probably better at like damaging him, even though like the investigation's real and what, what it's looking at is very real and very important. It has been so politicized. I do, I do think it's, it's, it's an issue that doesn't not, we don't get as much traction on politically, per se, and Trump has benefited from that. And I do think you see some he of that in the poll. He benefited. It, it is, he, he's the propagandist-in-chief. And we literally now have a situation where any media that is facts-based is liberal media. Yeah. Liberal media is not an ideological bias. It's whether or not it's fact-based or not. Because if you listen to what Fox News says every night, 
they are deciding how to mislead their own base, and their own base wants to be misled because motivated reasoning means you're looking for rationalizations and excuses to justify your biases and prejudices in your worldview. One other thing I want to add that sort of demonstrates this strange dynamic we're in where Trump is very unpopular. Fortunately for us as progressives, he is the one that most people will be thinking about, right? Um, the, the question on right direction, wrong direction of the state still remains slightly above 50-50, uh, right? So it's basically 50-50 on right direction, wrong direction, which again shows people's perceptions and their ability to perceive like how the state is doing versus the federal government are in different places right now. That's important for us to understand when we're out talking to people. We need to lead with Trump, lead with what's going on federally as we, as we transition to talk about why we need to elect different state legislators, why we need... because it's a much better dynamic for us. Rebecca. Yeah. Yeah. So let's take that and let's take, you know, the statistic about how many people think that, you know, they believe president Trump more than the news media and then how many people are starkly on the other side. Um, and let's couple that with how much more enthusiastic Democrats are about voting, um, in this cycle than, than Republicans are. And I, I want to draw on those two points because th there's a dark disagreement in Wisconsin right now on the left, um, maybe I won't say the left, but on, on folks who aren't Republicans, about you know which candidate and which message wins. Is it someone who's running on principle, who's running like Bernie Sanders, who's running as you know a quote-unquote progressive or someone who's people-powered, or is it a middle-of-the-road kind of moderate voice? And I think what we're fine, you know, if you look at these two statistics, right, if your path to victory is through people who believe President Trump more than the news media, that's not a path to victory. But if your path to victory is expanding the electorate and going to more people who are enthusiastic and might vote when they normally wouldn't, then you're going to win. And you get those people by standing for something. That's my two cents. Well, and I agree with that. We had this discussion with candidates yesterday. I believe that most of the people that will abandon Trump that are available that aren't traditionally Democratic or progressive voters don't care whether you're ideologically in the middle. They want to see that you're, you're a decent human being and you, you have integrity and, you know, and, and they're open right now and, and people need to understand that. So be, don't try to lie to voters. Be honest about who you are. With that, we got to take a break. We're going to be right back. And on the back end of this, we're going to have our member, Erica Flynn. Uh, who went down to Texas this week, and we're going to talk with her about that and talk more about what's going on at our border. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin, and we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we are going to talk about what has been going on at our border uh, with Trump, the Trump administration separating uh, children from their families, uh, and we are fortunate to have a guest, a member of ours at Citizen Action, Erica Flynn, who is also running for state legislature, the state assembly this fall, uh, who had the opportunity to go to Texas this weekend, along with a delegation of Citizen Action members who went with um, a delegation from our national network, People's Action, to go down to Texas to where these children are being, were being held, or are being held, uh, to bring moral authority. So we're really happy to have Erica join us to talk more about that trip. Erica, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Matt. Good so, to be here. Great. Th th well, first of all, thanks for taking the time this weekend to, on very short notice, go down 
because there was such such a sense of moral urgency. But tell us more about why you uh, decided it was important to go to Texas. Yes. Uh, well, as you said, I am running for state representative. Uh, so people thought it was a little crazy to, to take the time to go to Texas to do to do this. But I just felt that it was it was such a moral imperative to make as as big uh, an action as, as possible down there on this emergency basis. Uh, this is an issue that gets to the heart of who who we are or who we want to be as Americans. Uh, do we want to be kind and compassionate and welcoming uh, people, or or are we going to be the opposite of that? Uh, and are we going to put up with this? Um, what is essentially torture of children and families, or are we not? And it was um, it was something that I felt that I could do. Uh, I am fortunate that I was able to just drop everything and, and go, um, and a lot of people don't have that um, opportunity. So um, with the help of Citizen Action, I was able to. And it was, I mean, it was an incredible experience, uh, and, I'm, and I'm so glad that I went. So, Erica, this is Robert. Thanks for doing that. I mean, we literally from our national affiliate, People's Action, got the call, uh, can anyone come down for Father's Day with, with, with less than a, like a day and a half notice? And uh, Lou Sosa, our organizer, put the word, and you and two other co-op members went and did it. And we were one of only four of the 52 affiliates that were able to turn around a group of people to get down there. Now, a whole, all of the affiliates and people have actually been working on this moving forward and doing a lot of action. So I want to thank you for doing that. And what I want to ask you is, you've seen all the mainstream media were being bombarded with it. Of course, Trump and Rush Limbaugh and company are claiming it's the liberal media making things up. Did you see anything on the border or talking to anyone that we wouldn't know, basically, if we were just uh, watching the news, reading the newspaper, uh, uh, based on your experience down there on Father's Day? Yes, there's one story that I, I don't know if I've seen reported anywhere. Um, there, there was a 12-year-old girl there, and her name was Leah, and she spoke several times. Uh, she spoke, um, she gave a speech uh, in front of the, the group during the action, and she spoke with the media uh, many times. And she is uh, a resident uh, or a, an American citizen, or her father is um, undocumented. So she talked about her fear that 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 she lived with every day that you know she's going to go to school and come home and her father's going to be gone and this is this is a, a terror uh, like a, a visceral fear that she lives with every single day and here she was um, uh, she uh, flew from Florida to Texas to be at this action to fight for others who are facing inhumane treatment she's you know she herself is is facing this fear and she's out there putting herself out there for others it was an incredible um, display of, of bravery and and just uh, kindness that, that I saw from from this young person she was she was truly amazing so that's incredible. I'm glad you shared that experience with the audience, Erica. So one kind of fear I have as a kind of progressive leader strategist is that, and it sort of happened yesterday, but not really, that the Trump Trumpers and the Republicans will find a way to take away this obviously visible immorality, right, but keep an over, overall immoral policy. So like like changing the Fugitive Slave Act but keeping slavery, right? That kind of thing. And we're in Wisconsin where the Fugitive Slave Act was not enforced because the state refused to, just for example. So 
what happened, what's interesting is Trump still can't bring himself to do it. He's not going to separate families, but he's going to detain all of them. And he wants to detain them indefinitely where he's keeping them unknown. So we've moved from visible separation to indefinite detention of the whole family, it appears, which is also deeply immoral, unethical, and dehumanizing. So I'm wondering what you're feeling about the path forward. I mean, I'm feeling that like we need to discredit this whole system of separating people out and saying that that folks who are fleeing persecution in Central America, partly because of our own foreign policy and economic policies, are not are, are not are, do not have the same human rights other 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 people have who happen to be here already. Yeah, uh, and it is really really concerning to me because it's possible that this is. This is simply a deflection, right? They they could hold the families together for 20 days, and maybe on the 21st day they decide, oh, it's, it's been too long. Now we have to take your kid. Um, and because it's been 20 days, um, there there might not be that immediate reaction from the public and the media, of you know, of the, that that separation from the child, uh, the child from the parent. Uh, and so it, it could be just. They they want to take the heat off, and so they're so they're happy to wait three weeks. You know, and I think what we need to do is really remain vigilant. We have to keep an eye on this. We have to we have to fight fatigue. I know it's it's so easy to get overwhelmed by how much awfulness is happening in our happening in our country right now, and all the outrages that happen on a daily basis. Um, we, you know, we have to take breaks, but we have to stay engaged because it's the the fear is that uh, a lot of us will just um, retreat into our daily lives that might not have much to do with um, with this. And we have to stay engaged. We have to stay involved and care. Um, and that's that's exhausting on everyone. And we have to we have to check in with each other and keep each other. Um, for one, we have to keep each other accountable, and we have to keep each other buoyed up because it's it's easy to fall under the weight of, of all this these terrible events. So, Erica, you couldn't be more right about the vigilance and about not having this be a flash in the pan, right? And so, it, People's Action, the National Citizen Action of Wisconsin, is a part of had a video call Tuesday, have another one today, planning things out. The next big day of action, mobilization, is June 30th. And there are some people who go to D.C., there'll be a big one in Washington, but the big thing is to have it in all sorts of places. And so we're going to be working on that, but we need as many partners and people uh, and, and activists and leaders, citizen action members and not members, to come out, and not just in Milwaukee and Madison, but all of the medium-sized cities that dot the state so that we have this on that huge national kind of mobilization that's very visible. This is a visible sign of people standing up morally to what's wrong. There's a huge tradition of standing up and making visible your opposition to immorality, and that's what we need to continue doing here. So, Erica, before we go, any, any final thoughts for our listeners uh, based off of your experience? Boy, I, I just hope that everybody keeps, keeps learning and keeps, keeps engaged. Um, this, is, this is something that we, we can't allow to continue. It's, it's offensive to me as an American that, that, that we had this going on in the first place. I, I want us to all also stay on top of the issue of the thousands of children who have already been separated from their families, and the administration doesn't have any plans to reunite them. That's a tragedy. That that's that's an uh, an outrageous tragedy. Um, that 
that has been perpetrated in our own country. Um, and I, I want those children and parents reunited. And we, we have to keep our, the administration accountable for that, too. Um, yeah, no, that's an excellent point. It's, it's starting to be talked about that even though he, he has stopped this, uh, there is no no decision about what's going to happen, and, and you also brought up what happens after 20 days. Well, look, um, very much want to thank you for one for running for office, and then two for going down to Texas and speaking out uh, about this important issue. Thank you, thank you for the opportunity. I and I I'm so glad I was able to go and and help get the word out. Great, thank you, Erica. So with that, we got to take a quick break here at the Battleground. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin, and we are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwr.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. Before we went away, we were talking about the whole issue at our border with separating children from families, and we very much appreciate Erica Flynn joining us and talking about her experience. But Rebecca, you had more that you wanted to say, so it is all you. You, you know, this is yet another instance um, in Trump's America where uh, there's extreme fascist action and a huge backlash. And I think, you know, the um, the strength with which um, so many different people, uh, you know, uh, push back against this family separation policy is why we saw such a radical change from what uh, President Trump and his administration were um, saying that they were going to do all along up until yesterday. We're taping on Thursday morning. Um, and you have people like who I consider somewhat on the right, like Timothy Dolan in New York, Archbishop T- Timothy Dolan, saying it was unjust, uh, you know, un-American, unbiblical, that there's no Bible passage to justify family separation. But I just want to caution that, you know, families have been separated uh, in this administration since the beginning. And families are being separated all over Wisconsin and all over America. They're being separated when anyone is deported. Um, You know, they're being separated when DACA kids who have never known their country of origin are being forced to go back to a country that they don't know. They're being separated because of mass incarceration. Um, They're being separated because of poverty. And I think that it is incumbent upon all of us to not just push back when it's in the headlines, but really... um, you know, fight back against these things that are so inhumane, the idea that we're putting human beings in cages, that, you know, human migration, which is as old as homo sapiens itself, is something we're trying to restrict when people are fleeing, you know, what are becoming, by the way, in terms of international politics, like increasingly dire and desperate situations in Central America, that we are preventing people, children, families from seeking safety is, is really distressing to me. And it's why, by the way, Randy Bryce, who the Working Families Party has endorsed in the first congressional district, has joined a growing movement calling for the abolition of ICE, Immigration Customs and Enforcement. The sole purpose of ICE is just to catch people in the interior and deport them. And deportation is the separation of families, and it is traumatic. And I think that it's an issue that you know folks listening are interested in. You do some research and Google it. There's a lot of good articles about this growing movement to get rid of ICE, but... Um, you know, we need to not just keep the pressure going um, for this specific issue right now of separating families at the border, but we need to stop the separation of families, you know, that started before the Trump administration implemented this. And the last thing I just want to quickly say is that, um, you know, this was a policy that was implemented by Stephen Miller, or at least was like thought up by Stephen Miller, you know, the abandoned protege you know, worked for Jeff Sessions, um, now, of course, is crafting policy in the White House. And there was a great article about him in The Atlantic 
um, a few days ago saying, you know, who's this person behind this immigration policy? And I just wanted to pull a quote from that. Um, you know, speaking, and actually the, the, the Atlantic's quoting the New York Times, so I should attribute to the New York Times. You know, Stephen Miller said, you have one party that's in favor of open borders and you have one party that wants to secure the border. And all day long, the American people are going to side with the party that wants to secure the border and not by a little bit. He cites, you know, some numbers that he claims are, are polling. But really, you know, the goal here is culture wars. And I think that the, the view of the White House, at least the view of Stephen Miller, is that as long as immigration is at the forefront of the American electorate's mind and on Fox News every night, Trump is winning. And so I think, you know, we have to resist. We have to fight back. As Robert said earlier, we have to show up physically um, to show our resistance, but we also have to work hard to, you know, change hearts and minds of our neighbors. Drawing back in the beginning of the seg the show today, where we cited that polling that there's a core group of people in our state who believe President Trump over the media, and so we've got to keep reaching out to folks and having conversations. Just one little piece of hope. I know we have other issues to get to, and that is remember, there was never a majority for uh, for abolition of slavery, but slavery was abolished. So you have plenty of social movements that have succeeded by giving a level of moral outrage that ground, that ground down the system, revealed it, and made it impossible to continue. So, but we have to be aware of where public opinion is and how we have to change it. But let's not be, and I think you're saying this, Rebecca, let's not be captive to it either. Totally. Yeah, and again, that's why June 30th is so important. There's real momentum here, and there's an opportunity to broaden this discussion uh, beyond just this particular executive order. So, uh, Rebecca, great comments. Um, thank you for adding. And Republicans in disarray, yeah. as we're recording, the House Paul Ryan may be going down in flames again yeah, on immigration. Yeah, that, that, may, that may be the case. So, unfortunately, we don't have enough time to hit all our topics. We do want to mention, of course, that um, the Supreme Court this week ruled that the gerrymandering case, they, they weren't essentially going to rule on it because they said the plaintiffs lack standing. So we don't have a ton of time to dive into it. Maybe we'll get an expert on, maybe get Suchin well, Chatter or someone. Let me just say something quick. Yeah. Suchin will be more balanced than I'm going to be. <laughs> it's amazing how right-wing judges find a technical way not to rule on a yeah. fundamental constitutional right and how they never do when it comes to protecting corporate power. That's all I gotta say. Like, really? You're gonna pun on this over some sort of technical definition of standing? And you're gonna say that you're not harmed unless the harm is found in the, in this specific district rather than the harm to the whole state of having an, a not a democratically elected legislature? Please. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about this. And again, uh, kudos to the uh, State Journal for editorializing. We, we can solve this, right? We can pass nonpartisan redistricting. Shout out to Senator Dave Hansen. All of the stuff's out there. All the people who've worked very hard, many of them in this and our organizing cooperative to fight for fair maps. This fight is still on and there's much that can be done and it's gonna become an electoral and issue. And kudos to our Citizen Action Northeast Wisconsin Co-op for having an immediate event in Green Bay right after the decision and all the co-op members that went down to Madison for the event the next day. So we'll, we'll continue to talk more about this because it ain't going away just because they punted. Um, Robert, before we go, um, last week, we, at the very end, again, why are we saving this for the end? Because there's so much else to talk about. Uh, we talked about new report that came out a couple weeks ago about poverty on the rise in Wisconsin. But you want to talk very specifically about childhood poverty. Um, the report did reveal that childhood poverty is up in Wisconsin, and that is something that 
we have been starting to work on with a number of other groups around how do we have a long-term vision to actually change that and actually cut child p- poverty dramatically. Your thoughts more on this report and 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 con- in the context it's it it occurs in. And we'll do more in a future show and have other experts in. And I apologize to our right-wing trackers for this is going to be very fact-based. It's the UW Madison Institute for Research on Poverty, which tracks poverty has its own measure, which is more accurate, and they've tracked it for years. And they found, despite the record low unemployment that Governor Walker tells us about over and over again, that child poverty went up in the last year by 20% in Wisconsin. Think about that. That's a shocking number. What kind of economy is that? Now, what that suggests is that there are structural changes in this economy where the economic cycle, where we have growth and near quote-unquote full employment, according to Walker and other economists, still spikes child poverty by 20%, which means you need to fundamentally reform this economy, not just hope for good times, have a rain dance, and the stock market keeps going up, right? And so this is a, 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 you know, a reason, and we have a campaign, Citizen Action, Kids Forward, Wisconsin Council of Churches and Wisdom around ending child poverty and cutting it in half and racial disparities in half in the next 10 years. And so we'll be talking more about that. We have before on the show, but this adds new impetus that the state needs to actually take action that is focused on the child poverty crisis. Children are the poorest members of our society. So we've talked a lot, rightly so, about child separation, literally deciding children will be the poorest part of our society and that we will have huge amounts of increase in child poverty, even during quote-unquote good times, is stunning. And Governor Walker has, as we know, no answer to this at all, other than to claim it's a great economy and everything's going great and vote for him to keep him in his lifetime tenure. So, Robert, there may be people listening to this that are like, this is an issue I want to get involved in. If they want to get involved in this campaign to try to cut child poverty in half, which we want to try to launch... What should they do? We have a dedicated website, nchildpovertywi.org. That's nchildpovertywi.org. You can watch a video. You can sign a petition. We want to get 10,000 signatures in order to show the widespread moral support for this. This program campaign came out of a three-year process in churches and other religious institutions all over the state. So there's a moral basis for this, uh, and and it is homegrown in Wisconsin. And so... Go to the website, sign up, and then we can give you information. Not only can you add your name to this moral question, but we can give you information on how to get involved and to make this a moral demand upon the state of Wisconsin. So we'll have a link to that site on our web on our uh, on the show's on the- website, so you can uh, easily get to it. Uh, before we go. We want to remind all our listeners, uh, especially if you live in the northeastern Wisconsin area, we are having a governor's forum on Saturday. So most of you listen to this on Friday. So it's tomorrow. Get out there. Obviously, if you're uh, getting this on the radio, it's already occurred. Um, so it is going to be in De Pere. It is at the uh, De Pere Public Library for the, Br- the Brown County Library. It's called the Cress Family Library Branch in it's De Pere. right near downtown De Pere, and they're very, very attractive downtown. Thank you, Robert, for that wonderful... If you haven't been to it up here, Robert just gave you, uh, what is it, the Visitor's Bureau. Uh, uh, it's beautiful. Go on and go on up and visit, and it doors open at 10.30. Forum's going to start at 11. Uh, so come on out. We're going to ask them questions from our platform. With that, we have to end this Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank our guest, Erica Flynn, for joining us to talk about her trip to Texas. And, of course, 
As always, I want to thank Brian Wooldridge, our producer, who makes the podcast. The show happen every week. Thank you, Brian. And we'll see you next week at the Battleground Wisconsin.